0: The Free For All Roundtable.
1: Round one.
2: Round one on a Monday morning, we have Tamara Cherry from Pickup Communications, Karima Sad, a Toronto lawyer, journalist, co-founder of the online magazine, The Line, Matt Gurney is here as well. Happy Monday to y'all. Let's start with something that almost seems a little silly, but I'm curious about your thoughts. Maybe somebody sees the incredible wisdom to this new plan. Uh, starting today at Go, they're gonna close the doors a minute before the train pulls out. And they insist that this will, I don't know what it will do actually. I mean, the official spokesperson said it'll just allow everybody to settle and maybe the pulling in of ramps and things like that. But Tamara Cherry, it just, it seems odd.
0: Uh, I would like to think also, John, that there's some sort of wisdom behind this. Actually, the the place that my mind first went was safety because we've heard about people, I'm thinking of one incident in particular, getting stuck in the doors. Um, I, I think that that might have been when he was getting off the train. I'm not sure, but, but, regardless rushing and there's a safety issue if you're just entering the train and the train is starting to take off so that's where my mind went but presumably there's been a lot of thought and perhaps study going into this and at the end of the day i'm like whatever what's a minute i know we many of us have run to the train i know i've run to the up express many many times and just made it but um yeah, just, just reschedule your life by a minute. Not a big deal.
2: Worth mentioning, it won't happen on the Up Express apparently, but on all go trains. And Matt Gurney, it just strikes me as one of those things like, I've had a lot of people propose in recent years that every subway should enter the station going like 15 kilometers an hour and nobody would ever be run over by a subway again. And I thought, not really a great way to run a rapid transit system.
1: Yeah, and I, the thing that jumped out at me is that we've had trains for like 200 years now. Like, are we only now perfecting when to close the door? doors. Trains aren't a new technology. I have always been sympathetic when it's like, well, you know, we're, 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 trying something new. It's going to take a while to work out the bugs. We're going to do a, at this station, we're going to do a B at this station. We're going to compare how the two of them work. Now we've had trains a while now, like, have we not perfected the door opening sequence? <laughs> Karima, any thoughts?
3: I'm probably going to be one of those disappointed people left on the platform yeah. as the doors shut in my face. And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, I'm not super looking forward to this. I think I I understand the idea that everything will move on time if that buffer space is gone and and there aren't people waiting to get on at the last second. Um, So I guess it... It remains to be seen, um, but I'm not overly enthused.
2: Let's stick with transit and Matt, I'll come back to you. This is a coalition of people who held a protest the other day. They want the Eglinton Crosstown extension in the West End to be underground rather than elevated. And it, there's an indigenous connection. I'm not sure how this became an indigenous issue. And residents in the neighborhood were also saying, listen, you know, if the residents here want to complain about it, great, but don't come in from outside to, to grieve how we're building transit.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the indigenous angle to me, I I did a little reading on this, so the the change that's being proposed here is that the line is going to run above ground through an area where it would be difficult to run it underground, because of the Humber River, so they would have to go very, very deep. So the idea is for a section it would run above ground here. Some local indigenous groups are saying that the lands it would be running through are culturally and historically important to them, and they think that the train would uh, despoil those lands. So I don't know if there's much merit to that. That's going to be up to an expert to decide, and God knows I'm not that expert here. It just seems more that, and and I I don't mean to dismiss the possible merits of this, like I said, I don't know, but this is just an example of why it's very hard to get anything built in this country, because nothing's ever really approved. Like, even, I would like to be able to think, because it's already like 95% built, that eventually we'll get the Eglinton Crosstown's original section up and running in this country, but we we haven't yet. And I I never want to be dismissive about any of the individual things that come up that actually slow a project down, because they all have to be taken seriously on their merits. But when you add them all up, you start to understand the frustration of project managers who can't get
2: anything built in this country. Yeah, because Karima said, I reflect on, you know, it's going to be years, I'm sure, fighting over the route of the um, uh, Ontario line. And now we're also fighting about the uh, crosstown, and as as Matt says, it's... seems that we grieve everything in this city.
3: Yes, I mean, sure, that's probably true to a point, but but I think as well that um, some of these routes um, just weren't really thought out as far as consultation with the people who use that space. Um, And and I know that uh, you mentioned the Ontario line, Um, this isn't, you know, unique to this particular uh, section of, of the train. So it, it we all have to get along together. And, and, and I think that that involves consultation. Um, and it's not clear to me how much of that actually transpired before the plans were announced.
2: Okay, I want to get to a bunch of other things. So uh, let me move Tamara Cherry to a person dying in an encampment fire on the weekend, just the latest tragedy. And for me, sort of ups the urgency of figuring out how to get people out of these parks
0: oh my god john like the the urgency has been there for for decades really um for me anytime i hear about something like this and i know the fire is is still under investigation everything but let's just put that aside for a second and and talk about like homelessness in general and unhoused population we need to fix our mental health system i think that is number one and we need to just actually have real thoughtful long-term conversations about how we can support people who uh, may or may not want to be living in these encampments. It's just, it it can't be spurred by these one-off incidents. This is a crisis that's been going on for decades and was made exponentially worse by the pandemic.
2: Well, in Matt Gurney, I've looked at what's going on in other cities, and people talk about how in some Scandinavian countries, they have solved homelessness, or in New York, that they've turned it into a Manhattan project, quite literally. Yeah, but they're spending a fortune.
1: Yeah, and I I think one of the public policy problems we have in this country is that there's broad recognition of what the problems are, but there's really no recognition or agreement that we're going to need to spend some money on this. I think a lot of Canadian politics last generation have been the search for answers that don't cost actually any money, or at least as little money as possible. There hasn't been a recognition that we can do big, important, meaningful things, but you can't always do them for free. I don't know what the solution for homelessness in Toronto would be. I think Toronto, uh, like many other large cities, is in the unfortunate position that, you know, as the large urban area, we draw in the homeless uh, homeless problems of other surrounding areas. So we're always going to have more of a homelessness problem in Toronto than just our own population would suggest. But uh, kind of like I was saying before, at the beginning, right? We've had trains for 200 years from now. We should probably start to figuring, uh, figuring out how, when to close the doors. Homelessness isn't new either. Toronto's been a big city for a while now. Other cities around the world, as you've mentioned, in Scandinavia, some American jurisdictions are undeniably ahead of us on homelessness here. Toronto is going to have to waste probably another three or four decades reinventing all of the different kinds of wheel before we eventually figure out that what works here looks an awful lot what like, you know, what already working in other jurisdictions here. I don't know why we always
2: have to repeat that discovery part of the process, but it just seems to be part of our character. Karima Asad, you have a very, very significant social media footprint, so I'll start with you in asking about a lawsuit filed by a school board in Seattle against all of the major social media providers. They insist that they've created an addiction for young people and a destructive force in their lives. And I guess we've, we've touched on, this issue in the past, a lot of people are saying it's sort of like when we finally sounded the alarm about smoking and cancer, that eventually people will understand that these lawsuits are merited.
3: It's a very interesting lawsuit and the landscape in the United States is such that um, there, there really is no liability for a platform as far as the content that they choose to host. But the way that this lawsuit is set up, the argument is how the social media, um, th- these various apps, they are designed um, to to work in such a way to to exploit vulnerable people, uh, children, notably the way that the algorithms work, um, the way that sort of things are incentivized. Um, and, and so so I'm going to keep a, a close Eye on this because um, you know th- there's research, obviously, that has come up as as these apps gain popularity. Um, but there's a lot that is unknown.
2: Yeah, Tamara Cherry, amongst other things, this lawsuit blames you know Twitter, Instagram, other platforms like that for worsening mental health, behavioral disorders, including anxiety, depression, disordered eating, and cyberbullying.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and this isn't the first lawsuit. I mean, it's the first, as far as we know, where a school district or school districts have have brought a lawsuit toward the social media companies. But there have been countless other lawsuits over the last few years from, uh, I mean, there's been some class action lawsuits um, that involve parents of children who have killed themselves. And they're alleging as a result of the social media stuff. Listen, I've said it. Time and time again on this radio station, John, I've got a four-year-old, a six-year-old, an eight-year-old. I really hope this stuff is figured out by the time they're at social media age, but it scares the hell out of me. And I think, I hope, that these sorts of lawsuits are the ones that are going to spur real change.
2: Okay. and Matt, a lot of people would argue, and you got kids, uh, you know, it's the parent who has to be the gatekeeper, not the uh, provider of the service.
1: Yeah, you know, and my daughter is of the age uh, that kind of Tamara's alluding to here, that age where everything becomes terrifying and confusing. I don't even mean for her. I mean, for me. And, yes. you know, um, as she's picking up on, on social media and things like that, and it's not just social media. Like, my kids are asking me about stories in the news, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, I remember when you believed in the tooth fairy. Like, this, <laughs> the, I like that a lot more than this. Um, for my daughter, I don't think, especially for girls, there is an age at which they are immune from issues about self-esteem or body image or things like that. Social media, yeah, John, you're right. It is something that it's up to us to, to monitor and manage, but the problem is it probably only takes about 10 seconds for something bad to get into their minds. And it is very
2: possible in the course of my busy day that my attention is elsewhere for perhaps as long as 10 seconds. Okay, let me ask all three of you very quickly. Do any of you actually have an established signature? There's an interesting piece in the Star about how increasingly um, people don't because they don't learn to do cursive writing. And certainly in my case, I used to have a very recognizable signature. Now, if I'm offered something to sign, I practically just put a dash on it. Tamara?
0: Yes, I do actually and I and I use it and diligently especially when dealing with banking stuff because I was caught once with a lazy signature and the bank made me prove that my signature was actually my signature because they had my previous signature on file. So yes, I have a signature. I actually have a couple because I have a married name and I have my maiden name.
2: And Karima, when I was following stories in the states about the how they tried to disenfranchise some voters because their signatures didn't look alike in different settings, I thought I'd be in real trouble because I don't have a signature anymore.
3: (laughs) For sure. Um, And there's countries where, um, you know, a thumbprint is used instead of a signature because um, there are parts of the the population who simply don't have one or aren't literate. Um, So I'm not suggesting that that's the direction that we need to head, but it's it's not entirely uncommon um, for people to not have a signature.
2: Okay, Matt and the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the outcome perhaps one day where you're signing books, are you going to have a signature? You know, the rate we're going, it's
1: just going to be scrawling a little X like I'm an illiterate peasant from the 1700s. Look, I, I have a signature <laughs> but I created it in my 20s exactly for the reason Tamara said, where basically the banks were hassling me. So I came up with a completely easy signature that I've used consistently for two decades now to avoid a hassle. Folks,
2: Thank you all very much. Great discussion. Karim is at Tamara Cherry, Matt Gurney. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.